you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today is all about dramaturgy. We're going to talk about working with a dramaturg, working as a dramaturg, what is a dramaturg, just everything we can think of about the wonderful world of dramaturgs. Yeah. So, Sarah, I feel like we should just start off with, um, maybe at this point this is just a cliche, but Mm -hmm. every time we interview a dramaturg or like even bring up dramaturgy, it seems important that we always start with, what is a dramaturg? Because I'm reminded over and over again that many people don't even know what that that is or haven't Mm -hmm. heard that word. so what is what is a dramaturg? That's a that's a question, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because um, yeah, my husband always asks me like, what? Like he he's never heard of the word dramaturg because he's not not the, really the world of theater, and so um, so here's me. Listen, you pretend you're my husband, and here's oh, me great. trying to explain to you. Okay. <laughs> First of all, did you do the dishes? <laughs> Second of all. Um, so, and then Sam, feel free to correct me. All right. So a dramaturg is someone who supports and works with the playwright mm-hmm. and serving the play, whatever the play needs. I think that's great. Is yeah. that is that pretty good? Totally. And then and then my husband will go, well, what does that mean? Okay, dig <laughs> <laughs> even deeper. Um, yeah, that's all that, and that's where I would stop there. Well, and yeah, and I think so. There's really two channels that dramaturgy can take depending on what kind of a play they're working with. So if they're working on a new play where the playwright is still kind of developing. Um, the play, then the dramaturg can help as a kind of sounding board, can ask important questions um, to help the playwright go into the next draft. Mm -hmm. And that seems like one channel with new work. The other, I think, main channel that a dramaturg can operate in is in a play that's already, um, a play that already exists, that's done, that the playwright is not necessarily in the room and may even be dead. Um, (laughs) And the dramaturg is kind of helping a director and a cast and an artistic team um, with research and having conversations around what their production is going to focus on, the story that the play is telling, um, maybe historical context, that sort of thing. So I think that it's really different depending on whether they're working on a a new play that's still mm. being written versus an extant play that, um, where the script is finalized, but the production is the thing to focus on. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because um, for me, working with a dramaturg uh, with a brand new play, like I just written it and maybe it's gotten one table read of some kind, mm-hmm. a cold read. Um, and that first meeting with a dramaturg, like a Zoom call or a phone call, um, maybe the initial email exchanges, you know. Um, I as, as a playwright going into that first meeting, initial meeting, I honestly don't know how to um, – present myself, present the work, present like how, what it is I want to get out of this relationship. Right. Um, present, you know, however long I'm working with the dramaturg. And so, and yeah, I feel like that, that's just something I, I, to this day, I still really don't know. Like it, it might be more of me thing <laughs> less than the dramaturg thing where I just like, I don't, uh, know what I want to get out of this. I don't know what the focus is. I don't want, you know, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then maybe that's just something I need to work on and have time for to reflect and before meeting with that dramaturg. Um, but 
as I'm having a conversation with the dramaturg about the play, I, so far I feel like every dramaturg has their own approach. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, maybe they ask a lot of questions or maybe they're all about um, tracking, you know, the play and kind of (laughs) pointing it out that way, you know. And so they have their own approach to it and, and all helpful, super helpful. Um, but it's for me trying to figure out, well, what does this mean for me in my play? Like, how will I, how will this work for me, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the things that have been most helpful for me in the past when I worked with a dramaturg on writing a, a new play or as I'm going into a rewrite is when the dramaturg can help me make connections that I didn't necessarily see. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. tracking. So if they, a lot of times in a first draft, you know, we put things in there that we don't even realize are in there. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's like a recurring theme or idea or an object that comes up a couple times. Um, and a, a dramaturg can be so helpful in saying, oh, you mentioned this on page two. And then you mention it again on page 90, you know, what if there's something in the middle of the play that reminds us of that thing to kind Mm. of connect those two dots? Or sometimes it's like I have something in the beginning of the play that never comes back. And the dramaturg can say, you know, is really tracking this in the beginning of the play and then we never hear about it again. Is there a way to, to bring that back at the end? And that's where it's been so helpful for me to work with a dramaturg because, um, you know, actors and directors can bring that up, but they are coming at it from a different, through a different lens. Whereas Mm -hmm. a dramaturg is really looking at how the play is working as a, as a piece of dramatic text. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the way you described a dramaturg there is they, help sort of um like objectively look at the play mm-hmm. and kind of almost like a bird's eye view of like how this is all working um and just kind of just present it to you they're not they're not um trying to instill any kind of like i mean unless that's what you want out of a dramaturg like give me ideas give me <laughs> give me your hot takes you know like but like i feel like overall mo- majority of the time the dramaturg is sort of like looking at objectively and just kind of like noticing things um, because as a playwright, you're sometimes we've been living in it for so long in the play for so long that maybe we lose sight of what, what works, what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so they kind of help looking at it objectively. Yeah. And I think too, I can't remember where I read this, but years ago I read somebody, um, maybe in an interview saying actors are really good dramaturgs because they um, are kind of unconsciously reflecting back to you what's in the play. And they're Mm -hmm. because they're focused on a particular character, they can sometimes notice things that are missing or that are unclear. Um, But what a dramaturg can do. So that was the kind of idea that I, that I pulled, which I think is so true and helpful that actors can be really good dramaturgs. Um, But I personally have also found that, you know, actors are not, it's really not their job to look at the whole play Mm. and a dramaturg can kind of see the whole thing um, rather than focusing on the, the journey of a particular character. Um, what do you think is less helpful for dramaturgs to do? Like, is there, have you ever had an experience where, um, Mm -hmm. you kind of got lost in a conversation with a dramaturg or you felt like the way they were approaching the process was not helping the development Mm -hmm. of the play? Um, so far I gotta say... I feel like every dramaturg I've worked with so far has just been super, super helpful, super experienced um, coming in with, um, yeah, their approaches and like 
you know, helping me see the play in a whole new way, you know, and mm-hmm. they, that just, that's just been super helpful and rewriting. Um, I think, I don't say, so I can't, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what's less helpful, but what I would love more of personally for me, and it's, this is all depending on the stage of the play, but like early on the play, I almost want like the dramaturgs to come in with like a lot of questions and like, just having yeah. a conversation and being able to bounce off ideas and having point of view. Like I know that could be very um for some players be like, oh no, no, no. Like I don't want them to <laughs> come in with that. But like sometimes for me, I'm like such early on, I where I, I almost want to absorb and mm-hmm. like just take it all in and and sort of let it marinate in my head a little bit, you know, like dramatures with a with a point of view and with ideas and with questions and like that I feel like I love more of because I know sometimes dramaturgs I feel like um, I don't want to say precious but like I'm sure because every playwright is so different so they don't want to step on any toes and stuff Mm. so they get very cautious you know but it's like as a playwright if I give them the permission like hey let's talk about this yeah and and then come in with those ideas or questions and thoughts and everything. Well, and sometimes it takes having a point of view to become really invested in a project. And so mm. like if if you're talking with a dramaturg who really yeah. has a strong point of view about your play, usually that's because they really care about the play or they've found yeah. something in there that speaks to them on a personal level. And so, yeah, I agree. It's It's more fun for me too to talk to somebody who really has an opinion um Mm -hmm. because then whether i agree or disagree about their opinion we can have a more dynamic conversation yeah but i will say i i had a process a few years ago um with a dramaturg who um like really wanted me to change something in my play that i didn't want to change because it it kind of went against the story i was telling and that I found less helpful because this particular dramaturg like was so focused on her idea of what she wanted me to change that it kind of got in the way of the other conversations that we could have had. Um, and so I would say like that that kind of approach is less helpful because I think once the playwright has said, no, you know, I don't want to go in that direction. It's really important for the dramaturg to to recognize that and, and you know, and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love dramaturgs that they're just like a wealth of information. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? And they're just like, oh, this play, this play, this play. I'm yes. like, I'm just writing it all down. I'm like, oh, this is super helpful. Like, um, they're just like, their mind is like an encyclopedia of theater, <laughs> which I love. Yeah, I know. I think the best dramaturgs just like know so much. They're just a wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Information. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to know, Sam, like, have you had a dramaturg that you work from the beginning of the, the process all the way to production? Something like kind of, they were just there all the way through, see mm-hmm. through it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have. I mean, I guess at Iowa, um, we were really lucky, like a new play festival to work with dramaturgs, mm-hmm. um, when we were working on those productions. But I also found that working with Nina, Nina Morrison as a director, like she was also doing a lot of the work that a dramaturg would do. And this is where I think there's just so much overlap, right? Like directors who work on new plays a lot of times functions at, function as dramaturgs um, because they're asking those kinds of questions that a dramaturg would ask. Hmm. But that was also such a short process. Like I, I don't think I've yeah. – no, I haven't had an experience after grad school where I, I worked with a dramaturg from like the very hmm. beginning all the way to a production. Yeah. I was just remembering what was kind of cool about Iowa was that in those workshop readings, you know, mm-hmm. dramaturgs were in the room. So yeah. they were kind of in, in some way there 
from the beginning. And yeah. they were attached to your play for New Play Festival for a production, they kind of like was all the way there from the beginning to the end almost. That was so helpful to be able to have yeah. that kind of workshop conversation with multiple dramaturgs in the room, multiple playwrights, mm-hmm. often a couple of directors. Um, what a gift to be able to yeah. get that kind of feedback yeah. on a brand new play. Right now I'm working as a dramaturg on um, a play we're doing here at CU Boulder called They Promised Her the Moon. I can't remember if I've talked about it on Beckett's Babies, but I really love this play. It's by Laurel Olstein, and it's about a woman named Jerry Cobb who was a very talented and accomplished um, pilot in the Mm. middle of the century. Um, So like 1940s and 50s was when she was really at the peak of her career. And she was... She went through some of the tests to um, be qualified as an astronaut, and she was in a program called the Mercury 13 of 13 women who were undergoing preliminary testing to go to become astronauts and go into space. And then um, she was kind of going to be the first female astronaut, and then. NASA and ultimately Congress decided to cancel the program and not give them funding to continue. And so she never got to go to space. Um, I know it's just so sad, but the play is really about her life and um, what it was like for female pilots in the 1950s and the sexism they faced and, Um, all the kind of barriers to success that they encountered. Um, But it's, it's just, it's such a beautiful play and it's so much fun because it has all this historical context um, that I have gotten to research and real, you know, characters based on real people. And um So, but what's interesting about that play, so Laurel developed it at the University of Oklahoma with the students there. Jerry Cobb was from Oklahoma, and so it had that connection to the place. Mm -hmm. And she was at the University of Oklahoma for maybe a semester, a year, I'm not sure, but she kind of developed that play. She wrote the play while she was there. And so now the play has had a couple of productions and it's not, the script is not changing but it's still a very new play. And so what's really fun for us is getting to, um, you know, do all this research, but Mm. also imagine what is this production going to look like in our space and how are the actors going to find their own way into it? Without a playwright in the room. Without the playwright in the room. Interesting. So with this play, I'm so curious to know is um, as a dramaturg, like what, what are the steps? What what steps are you taking as a dramaturg? Yeah. A lot of what I've been doing is, um, so I guess early in the process, I was doing a lot of research, Mm -hmm. um, reading, you know, firsthand accounts, autobiographies, news articles, um, about these real people, um, looking up lots of different pictures of the planes that are mentioned in the play, the kinds of planes they would be flying, um, what the astronaut testing entailed, because we Mm. see some of that in the play. So all the different tests that the character went through, um, the kind of regimen she was following, all of that helps inform the characters and the way we stage the play, you know, what what their kind of given circumstances are. So a lot of research, but then also just during the rehearsal process, I've just been in the room as kind of a, another pair of eyes, um, looking at how things are staged, how little moments between characters um, might be read or, or might be, um, what am I trying to say? I guess like there are so many moments in a play that are not necessarily scripted, but have to do with body language and how somebody is interacting with somebody else. And, and those can really be informed by what we know about the, the real 
people. Um, uh, and Laure- what Laurel has done in this play is so incredible because she has so many details in the script that are really drawn from the history. And so there will be one line that has a wealth of history, historical context behind it. And so what I'm able to do because I've done all this research is to tell the actors, oh, that's what she means when she says this, or, you know, he's bringing this up because he had this experience five years before um, this moment that kind of influenced the way he's thinking about what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so that's been really fun. Um, I think also just because I'm interested in directing, it's a great way for me to watch a director work. And we, we actually have a um, visiting director working on this Mm -hmm. production. His name is Kent Thompson. And um, so I'm just learning so much from watching him work with the actors and, seeing his process. And then also, I guess what a dramaturg does, and I've done some of this as well, is, um, you know, in production meetings, questions will come up about, you know, what should this object look like in 1962? What would, what would this kind of thing, you know, what shape would this kind of thing take on stage? So um, I can give some historical context for that as well. Oh, wow. So it sounds like a lot of, you're doing a lot of research. A lot of research. A lot of research for this. Yeah. Um, Is the research for, sorry, is it for design? Like why why so much research? Yeah, some of it, but it's also like, okay, so let me give you an example. So um, one of the characters in the play who was a real person is Dr. Randy Loveless. And he was... um, he was the person who kind of uh, oversaw this Mercury 13 program of trying to get women into space. He was a scientist. He developed the oxygen mask. And um, at one point in his career, when he was trying to figure out how effective his oxygen mask would be, and, and pilots needed oxygen masks when they flew to a certain altitude because above a certain altitude, if you're not, if you don't have a pressurized cabin, which they didn't then, um, you could become really lightheaded and even pass out if you're not getting enough oxygen, which happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like one of the pilots in the play, her name is Jackie Cochran, and she had a very high altitude flight where she like got really lightheaded. Her nose started bleeding. She, you know, got dizzy. She couldn't quite see straight. And she was able to land the plane, but, you know, it was a real wake-up call that if you're going to fly to higher and higher altitudes, you really need a source of pressurized oxygen. So Hmm. Dr. Loveless um, invented this oxygen system where you would have a mask and it was pressurized or you would breathe through a tube, you know, a way to deliver oxygen at high altitude. And to test how effective this was um, for parachuters or jumping out of a plane, he actually um, flew to 40,000 feet and jumped out of a plane himself. <laughs> and <laughs> But there was a real debate between him and his colleagues about whether you should um, open your parachute right away at 40,000 feet or free fall until you're at a lower altitude and then open your parachute. So you're kind of spending the minimum amount of time at that high altitude. So they went back and forth and then he decided he was going to try opening the parachute as soon as he jumped out of the plane. And this did not go well because, um, first of all, it's negative 50 degrees up there, 40,000 feet. So he opens the parachute as soon as he jumps out of the plane it knocks him unconscious. <gasps> One of his gloves is ripped off and he gets frostbite on his hand. Oh my God. Luckily, he he had his oxygen mask on, which revived him, I think, at like 20,000 feet. And so he was able to safely land. Um, but all of that background was helpful for the actor because he has a line in the play, you know, where he says, I jumped out of a plane at 40,000 feet. And then Jackie Cochran, um, 
responds with, I believe you are unconscious for that jump. And that's all that we see in the text about that story. But because I did the research, I was able to tell the actor, you know, this is what they're talking about. Wow. He was this incredibly courageous person who was really dedicated to coming up with this new technology. But he wasn't going to ask anybody else to do that. He was going to do it himself. Um, Yeah. So that's just one example. This play is so deeply researched in the writing of it. And then as a dramaturg, I get to um, learn all that background. I'm like blown away right now because (laughs) for me, I'm just like, oh, those two lines. Two lines. (laughs) Yeah. And and just how um, much context that you Mm -hmm. had to find about and learned about uh, those two lines. Yeah. And and that's what's so fun about working on this play and yeah. other plays that are this well researched is she really did so much work in writing the script and so I get to find all of this out as wow. I yeah as I'm going back and oh my gosh yeah I'm like man <laughs> now I'm like can I be a dramaturg no in a way <laughs> but in a way I'm just like yeah I don't. I, I'm saying I'm I'm asking in a way that I'm like I don't think I could be a dramaturg because I would drive me nuts. I'm like I was like why didn't you just say all this? <laughs> but it wouldn't. I mean I think I know. Yeah, it wouldn't work to say all of that in the play because that's not what the play is about. But it yeah. but these two characters have such a long history that they know exactly how to mm. kind of get under each other's skin, and so you but you don't understand that moment unless you unless you understand that history. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Also, I'm just thinking about um, Loveless. That just mm-hmm. like that. That's such a crazy experiment of just you know. all these different levels of um, you know, I don't know. That's just wild. Well, uh, one of the things I've really been appreciating as I've read about all these pilots and the history of aviation is there are just so many things we take for granted now that people had to figure out by trial and error right you know flying used to be so dangerous and if you if there weren't people who were so in love with flying that they took those kinds of risks and a lot of people died in plane crashes a lot a lot of pilots like loveless died in a plane crash um another character in the play died in a plane crash and that doesn't come up in the play but it's such important context when you're talking about this time in aviation is like Mm. a lot of these people would go on to die in plane crashes or have really really close calls Mm -hmm. i feel like you would like talking to my uncle because he's a pilot oh really yeah i mean like now he used to be a pilot for um yeah, he, he just like ever since he was a child, he was like, "I want to be a pilot." And wow, I, he, I, there's a story about um, I think it was my grandma who told me like he was like eight years old or something. He went up, right up to like a pilot and was like, "I want to be a pilot, sir." And I was like, "Okay, well, study first and go to school." Before <laughs> you. He was just like ready to be a pilot at age ten, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, he became a pilot. Became a, a pilot for you know from a commercial like United Airlines and was wow. a teacher. My cousin, who's um, my uncle's son, like he got his pilot license before he got his driver's license. Like, wow. <laughs> because actually, I guess you could get your pilot license before you could get drivers. Um, and he also, uh, now my uncle works for the um, FAA, I think mm-hmm. Flight Aviation, um, like a government agency. So, yeah, he's really – he loves pi- – talking about planes and piloting yeah um man that's wild so okay so i'm so curious now as a dramaturg now you're working on the show you're doing all this research do you find yourself it's like informing you as a playwright at all oh yeah i mean that's such a good question yeah i mean i do think Every playwright can benefit from being a dramaturg at some point because um, seeing how somebody else, especially such a talented playwright, like Laurel, how they put together a play and how, you know, now that I know all of this 
historical context and the wealth of information that she read through in order to write this play. And I can see how, you know, that would just make it into one or two lines in a scene. It really shows me how you can't put all of your research in the play. Like you have to serve the story first. And mm. and I was speaking with her a few months ago um, because she came to talk to my playwriting class and she told us about all of these scenes she wrote that she really loved, but they just didn't belong in the play. So she had to cut them ultimately. Um, and I think one of the real gifts of this process for me as a playwright is seeing um, the the level of control and like I'm I'm trying to think of the right word, but mm. the ability to just say the right amount and not too much about a certain thing, if that's not the focus of the story, is uh, something yeah. I think you can only learn with time and practice and writing a lot of drafts. Um, sometimes you have to put a lot of information in in a first draft and and then realize what you know maybe you only need 10% of what you originally put in and mm. and you can cut out everything else but you don't get there without doing all of that work yeah. at the, in the first place i don't know yeah. if that answers your question no, but i'm also learning so much about just being in the rehearsal room and watching these actors work on this play mm-hmm. i'm learning so much about the pacing and the the plot, you know, the way she has kind of constructed the plot of this play is so effective. Um, And that's something you can really only appreciate after seeing, you know, week after week of rehearsal, I think. Mm. Wow. Sounds sounds awesome. (laughs) Um. Uh, so we have a couple of other resources here I thought we could talk about in terms yeah. of dramaturgy. And one I found on HowlRound, um, this is actually a few years old now, The Bill of Rights for Dramaturgs by Julie Felice Dubiner. And she has what she's kind of done in this article is she has taken the original Bill of Rights Um, from the U.S. Constitution, and she's adapted each of these amendments for dramaturgs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which is pretty fun because she, you know, keeps the titles like um, Search and Seizure, Quartering of Soldiers, The Right to Bear Arms, but she kind of adapts them for a, a rehearsal process or a play development process. But I just wanted to pull the first one which I thought was so important. So that she takes the First Amendment, which is the freedom of religion, press, and expression. And um, she's really emphasizing how important it is in a workshop environment for the collaborators to feel free to express themselves. Um, that the writer, you know, it's important for everyone to be, feel free to express themselves, but most importantly, the writer should be able to express his or her needs And now I'm quoting, she says, needs are not the same as opinions. Dramaturgs, please take note in regard to the dramaturgs freedom of freedom of expression. Of course, dramaturgs should have freedom of freedom of expression. However, it is the writer's needs, the play's needs that must be served, not the dramaturgs. Um, End quote. So she's kind of elaborating that, you know, it's, It's so important that the writer be able to say what's important to them in the play and the play process, and that the dramaturg should also have this kind of freedom of expression, but that their freedom of expression should always be in service to the play, Mm. Um, which seems really basic, but probably cannot be overstated. Yeah. Yeah. And such a... I, I, like I said earlier, like I would love dramaturgs to come in and with some idea, like if it's such, depending on what, what I would like out of the dramaturg, but that could be such a, such a great area too of they could come in and with, yes, point of view is so important, but they could also 
be just sharing a point of view that overall doesn't really maybe like uh, you know like this play was about gerbils and you're talking about seagulls i don't know if we're getting this <laughs> you know what i mean um but um yeah i have to point out that this amendment the amendment to right to bear arms uh, and the necessity of well-regulated militia okay this is really funny like i don't think guns should be allowed at workshop but that could just be me but the dramaturg, dramaturg should have an internet connection and the playwright will need a printer <laughs> uh, that's really funny yeah know. this whole thing is very funny and she's kind of talking about um you know what are what are the fundamental rights of the playwright and the mm. dramaturg in the rehearsal process i really like the next one when she adapts from the quartering of soldiers amendment um no playwright shall be forced to quarter in any workshop collaborators with whom they do not wish to collaborate (laughs) and no dramaturg should have to sit through a process where they're not wanted (laughs) yeah this is a very funny adaptation of the bill of rights um i love it so we'll make sure to link this and you should all read it listeners yes you Um, should yeah And then I also wanted to um, draw attention to another wonderful article I read on HowlRound called The Youngest People in the Room. This is by Jean-Marie Higgins. Um, It's from 2016. And the reason it's called The Youngest People in the Room is she starts with a quote from Paula Vogel, who's kind of describing dramaturgs as the oldest people in the room because they know the most. (laughs) Mm. Um, But she, this writer... um, teaches at, or at least she did in 2016, I'm not sure where she is right now, but um, at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and she runs a dramaturgy program for undergraduate students. And so she thinks a lot about how to train these young students who are just starting out in their careers to be dramaturgs. And Mm -hmm. I think this article is really worth a read or essay, um, maybe is a better name for it. But I just wanted to pull a particular quotation she has here where she's actually paraphrasing from one of her mentors, John K. Wilson. Um, She says, John K. Wilson provides a useful way to frame the research role for students. Think of research as water. Some dramaturgs go to the well, fill their buckets, and then carry the filled up buckets to rehearsal where they encourage everyone to drink. Don't haul that water to rehearsal, John says. Instead, go to the well, drink the water, then bring yourself to rehearsal. Mm. And I love that. Yeah, isn't that great? I love it. So throughout this essay, she's kind of talking about how the dramaturg um, themselves is valuable just for being in the room because they've done all this research and they have all this knowledge and then they get to show up to rehearsal or the production meeting and bring their own responses and insights that are based on the research they've done. Mm. So I really image. I know. I I love that. that. So full of water. I know. Um, Yeah. My cancer moon is just lighting up right now. astrology joke for those who uh, don't know um okay i love it wow thanks for yeah thanks for pulling all this this is super super helpful and i want to read these oh so yeah we'll like link this essay as well to our show notes cool um and looks like there's a couple of links here uh services Yeah, so there's a couple of services for those of you playwrights who maybe have never worked with a dramaturg or have, but you aren't working with one right now and you would like to find someone to do a script consultation with you. There are resources available. So the Playwright Center is one source where you can, um, I think if you're a member, I think you have to be a member to... um, take part in this opportunity but they have different fee uh, different tiers or options um, that are associated with different Mm -hmm. fee amounts but it's basically an opportunity to get feedback from a dramaturg about your play either in a meeting or written feedback Um, so I thought that was really cool that's on the Playwright Center website and then there's another um, 
group I found called Beehive Dramaturgy Studio, which seems to be a collection of dramaturgs that also provide this kind of service. So they do production dramaturgy, new play development, research. Um, it seems like basically at any stage in your writing process, if you feel it would be helpful to work with a dramaturg, they have these services that they provide. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, these are really great resources. Um, or just call for dad. I don't know. Does that <laughs> work the same? I don't know. Just <laughs> One time I was talking to my dad about rewriting a play and he, yeah. I said, you know, I need to make some edits and re revise this. And he said, but what if you make it worse? <laughs> and that was when I thought, okay, I remember maybe not the best that. person to talk to in this moment. Oh, but you know there's some truth to that because <laughs> i remember you sharing that because i was like oh i need to do another rewrite i need to do like 10 rewrites right and then you're yeah, and you responded to me with that and i was like that was a, a life-changing <laughs> moment for me because i was like yeah what if i what if my drafts get worse but that could be paralyzing if you focus on I that know. you know um speaking of like rewriting i uh so i'm, I'm back with my with a with my sketch team, sketch doing sketch comedy oh, again, cool. and and uh, we have a director. I love her a lot. She's like been really awesome, and she gives a lot of great notes. and And um, I think I'm pretty good at like taking all this information, taking all the feedback and the notes, and just kind of like like I rewrite really quickly when it comes to my sketches. But then I bring back for the rewrite, and the director goes like. I don't know something about this draft is like it it's not hitting the same like the comedy like it was in the mm. previous draft so maybe you want to go back to that draft and like see and and that that's not I don't know maybe it was because it's been two years but like I was like like that's been really um of a learning curve for me again to being like well what was working before and then the yeah people were laughing and then like but then they wanted me to make it better and then I add, instilled those changes, but now it like lost something along the way by doing that. So that's just been something I've been learning right now in terms of rewriting. And That's so hard. I know. And then it's, and then it's like going back and it's pulling, looking at my previous draft and almost like taking two steps back and then – and then when we start rehearsing, then maybe I'll start adding those back in, whatever makes sense, or whatever the actors start putting into the their thoughts into it. But yeah, it's it's such a it's a balance. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Well, listeners, I hope you found this episode helpful. Uh, it definitely has for me because Sam is the smartest person I know, and <laughs> I freaking oh, love it. I love shucks. Sam. I learned so much from Sam and I feel like now whatever my next meeting is with the dramaturg, I feel like a little bit, I feel a little better. I feel a little lighter. I feel like <laughs> I can go in with a little more uh, confidence. Just bring that bill of rights with you, Sarah. Yes, I will. <laughs> I was like, Bam. I'll read this bill of rights to you. Um, yeah. So thanks, Sam. Oh, well, thank you, Sarah. You're the smartest person I know. Wow, I don't know what this says about your life right now. <laughs> I think you need more friends. Um, alrighty. Well, we'll move on to glistens now. Our favorite part of the show. Um, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, my glisten is that uh, I started watching Pachinko, the TV show. Whoa. Um, and what is that? What platform is that on? It's on Apple. Oh, I have Apple. Oh, you do? I think I, I, think I still have a free trial going. Okay. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I have How seen, is it? So far, I love it, but I have mixed reactions to it right now because of um, I it you know the thing about adaptation is like you from a book is like a book did a certain way and you sort of right. attached to that way, <laughs> and then when a TV adaptation kind of does their own thing with it, I can't. It's so hard for me to kind of like, why did they do it this way? You know, like it's a totally different yeah. approach to it. Um, but I do love it. I love all the actors. The story has been I've been I cried multiple times. Whoa. <laughs> so um Nick hasn't. 
he has no heart um <laughs> he has no interest in my culture i guess uh jeez oh, um but i love it and i'm making him sit through it and then and after another episode i'm like how did that make you feel this is my people <laughs> something like that um it's such a long book. I mean, is. I feel like there's enough in there for like five seasons worth of yeah. a show. I think it is going to be multiple seasons. Um, but Are they moving kind of slowly through it or does it feel like they're moving no, quickly? I feel like it's so far it's a pretty good pace, but it's the way they restructured. You know, the book is sort of – what I love about the book was you start with one generation and you're mm-hmm. sort of like moving through that generation and like the next – and it's this whole linear – Right, it is very, yeah, it's very linear. Yeah, and with the show, they're cutting between, like, the past and present. Uh, Or the, 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 so it, 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 I feel like, for me personally, kind of takes away just a little bit of, like, the, um, the gravity of, like, what it meant for the, right, the mother, the grandmother to sort of go through all that. But yeah, I don't because know. in the I'm book you don't yeah. know if they're going to survive. Exactly. It's like it's so so some of the things they go through are so brutal, and yeah. even though you can see there's still 400 pages left, you're like, well, maybe that'll be about a totally different family or something. Right. Right. Um, so, so I can see how seeing their children as fully grown adults like would mm-hmm. kind of take away some of that gravity. Yeah, and Nick, who hasn't read the book. And he's watching the show. He's like, when they cut to the present, they're, he's he he's kind of losing some context. Like, I don't know why that isn't so important. Like, why is it so um, important for him to make this these decisions or the characters to make this decision? And I'm like, oh, it's because like you don't know the 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 journey that got right. to that moment. You know, like or you don't. Well, so that's why he's not yeah. crying. <laughs> he's not crying. <laughs> he he's not crying for a lot of reasons. I think okay. he's just. Uh, like like having no heart. I'm just kidding. I mean, just kidding. I love him. Um, but yeah. Um, but it's been a cool. show. So yeah. So what's your glisten, Sam? Um, I went to Dinosaur National Monument with my dad in Utah over spring break, and it's the kind of this incredible national park where. I think like a hundred years ago, someone found a whole bunch of dinosaur bones um, in a wall. So they've kind of built a building around this wall of bones, they call it. So you can see all these ancient dinosaur bones. Um, But then there are also petroglyphs, like seven, 800 year old petroglyphs carved into the stone walls. Um, and they and we walked all the way out to this log cabin that was built mm-hmm. by this woman Josie Bassett after she so this woman she was like friends with Butch Cassidy and all these outlaws in the wild west and she married five times divorced four times and her fifth husband died mysteriously and then she kind of went off on her own to this remote part of Utah and built a log cabin in her 40s and lived there until she died at age 90 by herself. Um, so we, so we like mm. walked all the way out and saw this cabin where she was a rancher and had a garden and was totally self-sufficient. I mean, not like way beyond just off the grid. Like she was this old woman living by herself in the wilderness kind of managing this cattle herd and garden and making all her own clothes and no, you know, no electricity. Um, I just feel like you just foreshadowed your life. (laughs) I'm not saying that's going to be my life, but I'm also not, not saying that's going to be my life. And I'm like, "Mm, Sam, it's, why does this sound like to me you're aspiring for this? Like- <laughs> no, but here's the scary thing, Sarah. So she like yeah. she was 89 years old. She was like giving water to a horse or whatever. The horse knocked her over. She broke her hip. She had no phone. <gasps> and it was like a couple of days until somebody, you know, one of her friends came to check on her and found her like lying on the floor with a broken hip. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, there's some real risks. <laughs> involved. Yeah, no kidding. 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, but that's my listen. Dinosaur National Monument. If you're ever okay. in Utah, go check it out. Utah is gorgeous. I had no idea. I really want to visit. It's I, I, I always want to drive through like Utah and like Colorado and mm-hmm. um but it's like the timing. I like don't want to go during the winter. <laughs> Whereas I see. Yeah. So well, that's real. Spring and, and then summer. we were driving back to Colorado and like had some snow and, you know, the highway was shut down for a couple hours. So oh that's gosh. real. Yeah. Wait, were you driving? Were you the one driving back? My dad was driving oh. and he kept saying, don't worry, your dad's a very good driver. And I was like, dad, I think we should stop for the night. Um, but we kept going. Wow. Oh. Well... That's our show. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Um, Listeners, if you have any experiences with being a dramaturg or working with a dramaturg that you would like to share with us, you know where to find us. And uh, feel free to DM me and say, like, Sarah, you need to practice working a dramaturg. And I'm a dramaturg. Let's do this. (laughs) I'm okay. I'm open to that. I'm open to that. Um, All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thank you.